building up something positive in the middle of all the difficulties. Because in that meal, he also tells them that one of you will betray me. And they're all, they're all discombobulated immediately because they're wondering, is it me? Is it me? And so that meal is loaded with a lot of information. Now, in the course of that meal, he also gives them some very important doctrinal information about, he calls him the other comforter. He says this comment, and in fact, there's a couple things that he says, that he says, I'm going to pray the Father that uh, he shall give you another, that is, the word another means one like me, another comforter or helper that he may abide with you forever. And then he talks about this other comforter that when he comes, he is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so he gives them that information. And so the, in his farewell address, just like our president had his farewell address that I'm sure you were all enamored and listening to and hearing, okay, which most of us probably forgot it was even happening. In his farewell address, we don't want to forget what Christ said. And what he says in that farewell address has to do with a lot of those things that will help us in our life to just have a peace of mind and not be pulled apart. The Holy Spirit is one of those topics of conversation that he has. And it's something that was, he's giving them new information, but he's building upon past information. <clears throat> See if you go with me in the back. In the past, these guys who are in that meal, they, they know some things about this comforter. They've heard about the Holy Spirit. Now, surely they have a lot of questions. And they're going to have a lot of questions when they teach about it in the book of Acts and then in the epistles. But what they know about the Holy Spirit already is they know that the Holy Spirit was around all the way back at the beginning of creation. They have Genesis. They understand that. It says in the very beginning of Genesis that the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the earth and upon the deep waters. Well, if the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning of creation, What's that tell you about the Holy Spirit? He's God. He's God. He's eternal. He's God. He's creator. There's a lot of little tidbit of information, but it's really valuable information that sometimes we take for granted. The, um, the Old Testament tells us more about the Holy Spirit. It talks about how the Holy Spirit convicted of sin. My spirit will not always strive with the spirit of man. And he was convicting the people at that time of Noah of their sin. <clears throat> and as a result of their lack of response... That's what the, the occasion of the judgment. So the Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament convicting of sin. He was involved in creation, convicting of sin. A ministry that J Jesus said is going to continue in the future. That this other comforter, when he comes and ministers, he's going to continue some of those same ministries, that one being the convicting of sin. If we go back in the Old Testament and pick out what those fellows who are sitting with Jesus knew about the Holy Spirit, they would know that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit frequently came upon people and empowered them for a variety of different ministries. He came upon Joseph, who had the Spirit of God upon him. Um, the men who prophesied with Moses. Joshua gets the Spirit of Moses put upon him. <clears throat> we have the Spirit of God dealing with Daniel. Samson, the Spirit of the Lord fills him. He's able to do all these supernatural strength, uh, displays of strength. You have multiple different occasions that the Holy Spirit would come and go, empower some people for different tasks. Even the people who were building the tabernacle. He took their skills of working with the iron, working with the metal, and he enhanced that so that they could do that tabernacle in an even greater way than what they could before. And so the Holy Spirit convicts. He's involved with creation. He empowered people. And in the Old Testament, those fellows who are sitting with Jesus would know that there are prophecies in, in, in books like Jeremiah 30, 31, 32, that talk about there's going to come a day when the Holy Spirit's going to have a different ministry. It comes the day when there is uh, 
a change in how God is relating to the different peoples. When he talks about the changes, he talks about how the Holy Spirit will be different in the future. His ministry will be different in that he will come upon all the Jews, not just some who are being empowered for a task, but they would all have the portion of the Holy Spirit. When he comes in that future moment, he's going to remain within them. And he's going to indwell or be a part of their, their walk and their daily life. He's going to change their heart. There's going to be a conversion that takes place in every one of those who have the Holy Spirit. In those passages that he talks about this future change in the Holy Spirit's ministry, he says it all happens in conjunction to a new covenant. So these guys are sitting there, they're with a meal with Jesus, and Jesus is talking about somebody that they've heard some theology about, and they know that in the future sometime he's going to change ministry and have this more impacting, more powerful ministry, and Jesus said it's going to happen with a new covenant. They're hearing this, and within minutes after that, Jesus has this statement. Jesus says, this is my blood, it is the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sin. Right away, if they're putting two and two together, they're going to realize this is the new covenant. This is the moment that, the, that Jeremiah talked about. This is the time when there's going to be a transition. <clears throat> and that would involve, if they, if they had it all together that quickly, it was going to involve the Holy Spirit changing the way he's worked all these centuries. And so the Holy Spirit has this change that takes place. <clears throat> when we continue on in the story... We read in the book of Acts of how some of that in, operated, how the change happened so quickly. We read in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit's ministry changed where he became very actively involved in the birthing of the church. Something that you and I take for granted because we, we've always enjoyed it. Since we've been born again and gotten involved, there's been a church. But there was a time period where there wasn't one. And it was birthed at that time. And remember the day, the church's birthday? What was it? It's Pentecost, okay? It happened just days after Jesus Christ had resurrected and the several days or weeks beyond that. Then all of a we have Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came. At that moment, it's talked about that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. That Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. The angels have confirmed you're going to be baptized with the Spirit at that time. And we get more explanation about that baptism. We referred to that already in some of our study. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12 already where it talks about by one Spirit we we all are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether bond or free, we've been made to drink of this one spirit. We understand that that ministry described in 1 Corinthians is one that's universal among every one of us who is born again. Galatians talks about it as well, where he says that many of us have been baptized into Christ and put on, the, if we put on Christ, that baptism has taken place. We understand that it's happened to each of us, all of us, and it's a past act. It's not something that that we had to work up to. It's not something that we had to do. It was a passive act. It was, it was done for us. We're the passive recipients where the Holy Spirit did this to us and we understand it's the moment of salvation. When we put on Christ, we were baptized into him. We were given the Holy Spirit who Paul or who Jesus had predicted would dwell within us forever. We, are, we know that. We know that those ministries took place. If we were to just remind ourselves a little bit, we would understand in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit not only birthed a church, but as the church was, was evolving in those first few uh, months, that he was involved with the building of the church. In Ephesians 2, Watch what he says about the church and the ministry. In Ephesians 2, verse 20, and remember the context. 
in Ephesians 2, there's a church that, let's, let's say this is the church of Ephesus. This side of the room is filled with Jews who are born again. This side of the room is filled with non-Jews. We call them Gentiles. The Jews call them <laughs> that, they call them dogs. Yeah, your term of hypocrites would be nice. They call them basically dogs. And in that church, there's a division. They have an aisle. And that aisle isn't like this where you can all kind of talk together. It's an aisle that nobody wants to cross. And he's writing to them in this text and saying, hey, wait a minute, we got to stop this. Why is it? Because the work of the Holy Spirit is the same in the Jews and in the Gentiles. We're catching and getting a little bit of what he's talking about in chapter 2 and 3. I'm in verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but you are what? Fellow citizens with the saints. And you are all of the what? the household of God. And you are all built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly joined together grows into a what? A holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also builded together for a habitation of God through whose ministry? the Spirit of God. Now, if we were to just take that and say, okay, exactly what theological truths stand out? Well, he's saying that the church building, and I'm not talking the physical, I'm talking this, okay, the people relationships, that it's a work that is done by the Holy Spirit. You and I couldn't do this. We couldn't find a unity amongst us because some of us here talk funny. Some of us comb what hair we have funny. Some dress funny, some have different backgrounds, some have different economics or, or schooling or whatever. We couldn't build a unity like this. It is a work that's done by Jesus, uh, by Jesus Christ through the Spirit. He goes on, he talks about that this church building that is happening, not the facility, but the action of building, it is to create a place where God has this habitation, where there is the idea of a close fellowship. It's that, that habitation of God has that sense of you are really, you're rubbing shoulders. You're right there. And so we have close fellowship with God together and with one another. This idea that he's talking about is this, this unity and this closeness and this tie that we have with Christ and with one another. It's all built upon Jesus. It's built upon him being our foundation or our cornerstone that everything lines up and he gives the support to it. He's made that clear. This building of the church in its unity, it's an ongoing process where he talks about it's going to be put together and it's, it's the idea of this didn't happen once and it's done. It's the idea that this building is constantly being improved upon. It's like your homes. I mean, when do you ever finish saying we're never going to do anything more in my house? It doesn't It doesn't stop. You keep on doing something to make it a little bit nicer or, or until you run out of money, one of the two. But you have that building program. This building involves uniting all the believers that are in that specific body and putting them together where there's unity. And so he mentions that. And he mentions that the Spirit is very active doing this in building the church. Go to chapter 4. He hasn't finished. In chapter 4, he's going to give us a little bit more about the Spirit's work where he talks about in chapter 4, verse 11, that he gave some apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. Now, the he that is giving this is Christ through the Spirit. These are the gifts of the Spirit we're going to get to in a few moments. But look at verse 12. This is, by the way, this is critical mass for me. This is, this few verses <clears throat> dictates how I'm supposed to do ministry and gives me my philosophy of ministry that I hope to share again with you in the next six months. For the perfecting of the saints, because verse 11 says we're given, my, my describes the job the pastor teaches, 
Why are they there? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our standard. That's our goal. That we henceforth are no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man or the cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint is supplying, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Again, just highlighted thoughts. The Holy Spirit is using people to help direct this building program of the church. He's using human instruments, in particular the pastors and the teachers who are giving the guidance and direction for the perfecting of the saints. And then he uses you to your contributions that you can make, which is done through your gifts that we'll see in a few moments. The Holy Spirit desires all of us to contribute to the growth of the body. Every part, putting in, giving some contribution. The Holy Spirit in this passage is saying, if we work together, and if the Spirit is guiding and directing us, as we work together as a team, a spiritual team, yeah, that's united in Christ, there's going to be success in growing. Growing in the sense that we would mature individually in our walk with the Lord, but also we as a body would grow. We would reach out to others. We would make impact into, uh, into lives and families for all eternity. The results would also include stability in your and my life. Not just the church, but also in our personal life that we're not caught off guard. That every slight wind of doctrine or every trial that comes by doesn't, doesn't you know, pull the rug out from underneath us, but we're solid, we're firm, we're standing and doing what's right. So he's giving us all this uh, concept about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's involved in our life, it's involved in our church, but also if you go through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was very involved in outreach. It was a tremendous ministry that he did. I'm going to highlight just a few verses and passages just to show you how the Holy Spirit worked in outreach by using individuals in personal evangelism. How there was occasions where he said, you shall receive power and then you shall be witnesses unto me into Jerusalem, Judea, and all, and all through the region, or Samaria and all, into all of Judea. The apostles, they're able to stand up and preach with boldness. Why? They had that filling of the Holy Spirit. He says in Acts chapter 4, he says, they prayed. They prayed because they'd been threatened. They gathered together and they prayed. And when they had finished praying, they were filled with boldness. And they spoke the word with boldness. And many were converted or multitudes were converted in chapter 5. We read about Acts chapter 7 that Stephen has the empowering of the Spirit. And he stands up and he speaks. And did he make impact upon anybody that we know of as he shared the word of God? Can you think of Stephen's message impacting somebody that you've read about? Saul. Saul, or we know him as the Apostle Paul. And so God used them in their personal outreach. You can go in the book of Acts and you will highlight several passages that talk about the Spirit working in peoples or in the group of the church in such a way that they are public outreach, their missions program, if you would. The missions program is talked about in selection of the missionaries. The Spirit says, separate unto me. Paul and Barnabas for the ministry. You look and you see, okay, the Spirit of God guided them and directed them, first of all, into the region of Galatia. You have that they're enabled, they're empowered, they're strengthened. 
when they were discouraged. The Holy Spirit is helping them to do the missions ministry. They're given help in persecutions. We find that, that even when they are saying, where do we go to? The Spirit would not allow them to go into Bithynia and, some of, and, and uh, the regions of Assyria, but rather redirected them towards Macedonia where in Acts 16 they get the Macedonian call. So yeah, you have the Spirit very involved with missions, the public outreach, the private or personal outreach, and the Holy Spirit was very active in outreach. As I go through and see in the book of Acts and the epistles, the Holy Spirit was very involved in how worship is done. In the, in the book of uh, Ephesians that we just talked about here uh, a couple Sundays ago, the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Spirit, it said, remember, that we would be filled with the Spirit and then we would speak to one another. When it says yourselves, you and me doing it. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians talks about building up and edifying one another with those same songs and those hymns, and those, and those spiritual songs. And so the Holy Spirit is involved in the worship of the local church, helping the believers to build up each other. We go into the book of Acts, we go into the epistles, we find that the teaching that is done in the churches. The Holy Spirit, Paul writes and says, when I came and preached the gospel, the gospel came to you in word only, not in word only, but in the power and in the Holy Ghost. He writes to the Corinthians, my speech, my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit. And so Paul knew this. He knew that in the ministry that they do in preaching and teaching, there's got to be a reliance of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is not involved in the preaching and teaching, then what good are we doing? It's a spiritual work, and it's got to be, the Spirit's got to be involved in it. You, you go to another aspect that's so important, like what we do here this evening. The one aspect of praying. You read in the epistles how we need to be praying in the Spirit. How the Spirit is guiding us when we pray. It is a critical element, the, uh, the involvement of the Spirit is critical to you and I having impact as a church in our ministry of prayer and music, preaching and teaching. And so the worship aspect of the church, the Holy Spirit was actively involved. There's, um, there's another aspect of the, of the uh, idea, oh, we'll get to that, we'll come back to that. The organization of the church. That is how it was put together. Not just what it did, but it, this is taking us where I want to start here this evening. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit guided in the choice of the leadership. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, how are we going to organize and what should we do with the Gentiles? Should they, should they have to follow Jewish rules or not? What are we going to tell the Gentiles? And that's that whole council. The Spirit guided in the conclusion of that, in the organization, how they were going to make requirements for the people within the church. The Spirit was involved in the, who we choose for officers in the book of Acts. The Spirit was involved in the churches providing the, the gifts to the churches so that the members were enabled or empowered to be able to contribute, which brings us to a very important issue. This whole issue of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of gifting people, helping people so that they can make contributions to the body of Christ, to their church. And it opens up a whole panorama of discussion. In fact, this is the discussion that is most pertinent in this time in churches whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit. This is where people want to discuss because it's, it's the one area that there's so much debate about and there's so much confusion about. You know, what about these gifts? 
How do I know if I have these gifts? How do I find my gift? If I take this test, will it tell me what my gift is? If I have the, you know, the, the gift of the Spirit, must I speak in tongues? Will I automatically do this or automatically do that? Who has these gifts? And so what I want to embark on for this week, next week, and the following week is this idea of the gifts of the Spirit and make it very clear what does the Bible say about these gifts. And the only way to do it is not just one singular passage, but combine several passages, do, a, do more of a topical, textual study than an expository that says, okay, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, what do we learn? What do we know about them? So that you can answer the people who challenge, the people who question you. Why don't you believe in this? Do you practice tongues? Or if you are encouraged, like we were when I was a baby Christian, we were encouraged because of some of the difficulties we were going in that we needed to repeat this phrase repeatedly really fast. And the faster and faster we repeated this phrase, we would eventually speak in, this, in tongues. And we would finally get the Holy Spirit in our life. Well, doctrinally, that is so false. Who gets the Holy Spirit? All believers when? When they're saved, okay? But the issue then is, okay, do I need the filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, I'm commanded to have the filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, do I need to do something like speak a certain unknown language to have the filling? No, no. In fact, does the Bible indicate that spiritual Christians will speak in tongues? No, it doesn't. Does the Bible indicate that every Christian should speak in tongues? No, absolutely not. In fact, he even forbids it from some people. So where do we go with this? How do we answer this? When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, I would, you know, I would rather speak in, you know, in angel tongues, so to speak. Okay? And he uses a phrase about you know, speaking the tongues of angels. Well, if we speak in tongues, that means, and you, it's, it's a whole lot of confusion that comes out that really doesn't have to be confusing. And it's not intended to be confusing if we go back and just kind of put it together, okay? And ask ourselves, what does the Bible clearly say about the gifts? And then we'll, we'll get in particular with the gift of tongues and healing and things like that. But right off, right off the bat, let's remind ourselves of these simple facts. Fact number one, okay? And again, this is, a, this is an overview. This is what you call a systematic study that takes multiple different passages, put them together under this one topic. In this systematic study, we would want to clearly say this. They, the gift of tongues is not, or the gift of the Spirit are, is not, or they are not, however the grammar is supposed to be, the same as the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus predicted. That when I leave, I will give you another comforter. The idea is I'm going to gift this to you. This isn't something you are going to earn. This isn't something you're going to merit. I am going to send a gift to you. It's going to be another comforter. The gift of the Holy Spirit to the church is not the same thing as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when you get the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's at salvation. It's for everyone. You all get the same Holy Spirit indwelling you, and he's going to be there for forever. That's not the same as the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit vary from person to person. They may not last permanently. They don't all, it doesn't, the gifts don't all happen to all believers in the same way. So the gifts of the Spirit is different than the gift of the Spirit. Number two. 
to highlight this. There are several different listings of the gifts in the New Testament. They are listed in several of these different texts. Sometimes they're long, sometimes they're brief. But if you take your New Testament and look these passages up later, these are the only and all of them that include mention of what gifts there are specifically stated in Scripture. Okay, there's, there's four different passages. And there's a summary of all the different gifts. If I were to write them out and, and put the titles, and I know that different translations might have different terminology, but to give you a sense of them, put all those four passages together, you have basically about 21, 22 different gifts specifically mentioned or stated. And these are them. Okay, there's the gift of ministration, apostles. You've got the pastor teacher. You've got prophesying tongues. You've got the healing. You've got a variety of different gifts. Now, when you put them all together, this is what you have. But there's a question that comes to my mind. Okay, is that all there are? Are they the only gifts? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we can say that those lists contain all the potential gifts. The reason I say that is in 1 Timothy, he's writing Timothy, he says, neglect not the gift that is in you. Well, what gift is it? I don't know. Is it pastor, teacher? I don't know. Is it stir up the gift that is in you, Timothy? I don't know what that reference is. Is it saying there's a potential other factors that the Holy Spirit has gifted Timothy in some other ways than what are listed? There's that possibility. What I do know is this, that we don't know all of the exact details, I shouldn't say we, I don't know what all the different gifts refer to, such as the gift of administration. What exactly is that? What is the gift of helping? Well, you and I have a pretty good idea that if we take the concept of us helping one another, maybe that's what it's talking about, possibly. What is the gift of knowledge? That you have a higher IQ than other people? Is the gift of knowledge that you could beat everybody at Bible trivia? Yeah. Is that the gift of knowledge? What is the gift of leading? Okay. Some of these gifts, the specifics, we may not know in detail. Okay. In all the, in all the, different, the different nuances of it. So there are some questions here. What I do know is this. The original terms that are used, there are four of them in the New Testament. Where you talk in these different passages, they use the possibility of four different terms referring to the gifts, and that might give us a little bit of an insight. The four different words are this. One is charisma, okay? You, what ought to, obviously, when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit and you read charisma, what word comes to mind? Charismatic. So, again, that comes from this word. It's something free, something undeserved. It's something like grace, given because you don't deserve it, something you don't achieve in and of yourself. There's another word, pneumatikos. It is involving spirit, something spiritual. It has to do with the supernatural. So when it calls the gifts in references to them, it's something in the spiritual realm. It's something that's supernatural involvement. God is doing something special here. We have two other terms that show up at times, doria, uh, a gift, a free gift, and uh, doma, which is a gift that has to do with spiritual sp religion or spirits of some sort. Those are the different terms that you're going to find. 
okay? The different words that are used, they, and they, they're used interchangeably at times. So when we put it all together, we say, okay, what is exactly a gift? Now, I'm going to jump ahead, and we'll do a little bit more of the in-depth and show you where I get this, you know, probably next week because sake of time. But to give you a subtle, a simple definition, we could say it like this, and, it's, and any definition I give you, there's going to be some incomplete part of it, okay, that unless I do this real long one. So let me give you the simple one. It seems that the spiritual gifts are simply this, an ability or opportunity to serve God. It's an ability or opportunity to serve God. Now, with that, let's expand. It has the idea, some of the gifts have the idea of total supernatural enablement. Nothing of you. Absolutely nothing of you. It is totally of God. The, uh, the example, okay, if I had the gift of healing that was described in the, in the book of Acts, I could come, I could lay hands on, on Brian, and he could be healed of whatever the disease may be, and I, w I may not have had any training whatsoever medically and do nothing other than lay hands. It's totally supernatural. I'm just a vehicle. Were there some of those gifts that function in the New Testament that were totally, totally supernatural? Okay. There is the heightening of one's ability or skills. It's very, very possible that a number of these gifts were taking what human skills are there and heightening them. Maybe that's the gift of administration. Somebody who had organization, organizational skills and they were heightened. Somebody who was charitable. Somebody who was hospitable. And it's heightened to the degree in a way that they can, they can do extra and beyond. The gift of giving. Okay, it's probably taking some ability that that person had to make money and heightening it. There are some gifts that have nothing to do with a supernatural you know, ability alone, but their, their position. It's a position of service. Can you think of what would be a gift that is a position? Pastor-teacher. Pastor-teacher is a gift. Okay, and that is a position that was gifted to the church. And I think what, it mean, what comes with it is the work of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit assisting the individual or individuals to do the job. And so you have, at times, totally, totally supernatural. Miraculous, okay? Is pastor-teacher necessarily all miraculous? No. No, it involves assistance to study and do work on your own to study and know the Word of God and to present the Word of God? Is it possibly taking somebody's skills? Well, according to 1 Timothy 3, the pastor-teacher has to be able to teach. He has to have that ability to do that. So in that sense, you're taking some ability and heightening it and putting it in a position. So there's a variety of different details of these gifts or, or maybe even classifications of the gifts. Maybe the, an easy classification for you and me is to make them all the miraculous gifts here and the, if those are miraculous, what are these? Non-miraculous. And try to get some differentiation with that. Here's the, here's the big question, okay? The questions kind of go like this. There's a couple of them then when you talk about this. Who, gifts, who gets the gifts? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter two, 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And this is critical because we put it all together and the, and the bottom line comes this. You're supposed to be contributing to the church, okay, for the growth of, of the church. How can you do that? The Holy Spirit enables you to do that. One of the ways he enables you is 
He gives you the ability to somehow, some way contribute. Well, that enablement can be your gift. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He starts off saying, now concerning what? In verse 1. Spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be... I don't want you to be dumb about this. I don't want you to say it doesn't make any difference. It does make a difference. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto those what? Dumb idols, okay? You were dumb in one area. Don't be dumb in this one, okay? Even as you were led. Wherefore, I give to you understand that no man speaks by the Spirit of God, calling Jesus a curse, and that no man can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit of God. There are differences or diversities of what, according to verse 4? Gifts, but they, are, but they are from what? The same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but it's the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to how many people? Every man. Okay, this working of the Spirit, this gifting of the Spirit is given to every man. We're going we're gonna to define that every man being what? Or who? Every, every believer. Every believer. Why? Verse 7 is so critical in this whole discussion of healings and tongues and everything else. What is the purpose for every man getting a gift? To say, look at me. I can do this. Is that what verse 7 says? No. The, the gift's whole purpose of function is to Is to profit the body. Let, let's rephrase that. The reason that any of us has a gift is to minister. That's it. They are given to minister, not to manifest ourselves. Never in the New Testament is the gift to say, hey, look at me, look at me. The only person, the only person that was asked to do signs to manifest themselves was Jesus Christ. Not us. The gifts are for us to minister to people. He goes on, he says a little bit more about these gifts. That is so important. For to one is given the spirit of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophesying, discerning of the spirits, tongues, to another interpretation. But all these work that one and safe self same spirit, dividing to every, every man, we're going to define that, Every believer as, as the Spirit wills. Okay, not as you and I want, but as the Spirit wills. So if we put this together, here's what I can conclude. Every one of us has at least one gift of the Spirit. They are given out at the Holy Spirit's directions. Discretion, I should say, or direction. They are not gotten by our desire, practice, or efforts alone. I want to, I want to do healings. By the way, do you know of any character in Scripture who said this? I want to heal the way the apostles healed. Let me, let me buy it. And was Simon able to do it? No, no. These gifts don't come by our desire. I mean, seriously, if you could have the gift of healing, wouldn't you want it? I would, I would, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I would love to have the gift of healing if it was there and if I could choose it. It would save a lot of people's heartache. Yeah. And so we know the scripture doesn't say we can do it that way. I want it, therefore I get it. 
It varies from person to person. In other words, when he says to another this, to another that, not all of us have any one gift. There is not one gift, spiritual gift, that is given to every one of us. Therefore, our brothers, our sisters in Christ say, you've got to speak in tongues. That violates this, principle, this idea. Tongues was never intended for every Christian. Now, the gift of the Spirit himself... That goes to every believer. But the gifts of the, the, of the spiritual gifts, that's not the case. We, you, you, might, you might have a totally different gift than others, and that's okay. Let's go on. So the distribution of some spiritual gifts was based upon spiritual character. Okay? For instance, can you think of one gift functioning even yet today that spiritual character is critical if somebody's going to fulfill that gift? Pastor, teacher, does spiritual character matter? Yes? Okay. There are some times where gifts were not based upon spirituality. I'll give you the example. It comes from Corinthians. They are carnal, and what is the gift that they were after more than any other? The tongues. And it wasn't there because of spiritual character. It was there. Okay? And it's, they're told, stop it. The, um, the fact is we may not even recognize some of our gifts. We may not know at this moment what is your gift, what is my gift. We may not see that. We may not know that. And we'll talk about what we do if that's the case. Okay. But they were given with specific purposes in mind. We already mentioned this, that the gifts were given, the spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit for, and I can see, I can prove in Scripture three different basic reasons the gifts were given. We've already pointed out the one purpose. It is found in 1 Corinthians 12, gifts were given to profit the body. They were given for you to minister to others, not you to be ministered unto because you have that gift. There is another reason gifts were given. Let me highlight it quickly. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. He makes it very clear, and this is critical. This is just uh, so important doctrinally. In Hebrews chapter 2, because this lays a foundation for your understanding of, of a lot of different gifts. In Hebrews 2, he's writing, and he's going to give a statement. And he makes a statement in Hebrews 2. Look at verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Okay? He's talking to us who are getting older. Okay? That we get a little bit forgetful. Okay, I forgot where I was. Okay, does it happen? Does it happen? Yeah, all the time. But he's talking spiritually. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, that is, when the angels gave revelation in the Old Testament, were people held accountable for what the angels shared from God? Yes, and if they didn't listen, okay, there, there could be judgment. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by who? Okay, the Lord spoke, the repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was confirmed unto us by who? What does your Bible read? Those who heard him. Who are the ones who heard him who, who repeated his truth? Okay, we're talking the apostles. God bearing them Witness how? Signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. So the gifts were given for one, another reason. Some of the gifts were used to confirm new revelation. 
new revelation that was being shared at the early part of the New Testament. They didn't have an entire New Testament to go back to to compare, is this guy preaching truth or not? How did they determine if this guy was doing truth or not? They would see if he was able to produce supernatural signs. By the way, did the Jews have it right when they said, Jesus, show us a sign? In a way, they did. The problem wasn't that they asked him to show a sign. Because according to Deuteronomy 18, if the Messiah comes, he will show you signs. What was their problem with it? He showed them signs and they said, show us a sign. He just, he just raised somebody from the dead. Can you show us a sign if you're Messiah? He just healed people. Can you give us a real sign? That was the problem. The problem wasn't the sign being asked for because God predicted that there would be signs given. And he even says that in the, in the process, and by the way, in the book of Acts, did they do miracles at times? Yeah, to confirm that they were sent from God. So that's one reason why we have them. There's another reason. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it's specifically stated that one of the gifts were given to, to address the Jews, the unbelieving Jews. And it's a quote from Isaiah, and it says, and in that context, it's saying, tongues were given to reach the unbelieving Jews with the gospel. And so he makes it very clear. These are the purposes of some of these gifts. We're going to come back and deal a little bit more with that. What I want to ask, ask, ask this question and wrap up tonight is this. Are the gifts of the Spirit still functional today? Okay, okay, here we go. If we're going to answer it, we have three possible answers. We would say all of the gifts of the Spirit are still operational. None of them are operational or some of them are operational. Well, I'm going to conclude that based on these facts, fact number one, Certain prerequisites were given for some gifts. I'm going to pick the one gift, the gift of the apostles. According to Acts chapter 1, somebody who was going to be an apostle had to be around when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth. That was one of the prerequisites in Acts chapter 1. Is that still possible today? Well, if it's so, that person's mighty old. Okay? So it's not possible. So that means that some of the gifts had to uh, go, by the, go by the wayside because the prerequisites that are stated, nobody can fulfill them anymore. Some of the gifts are no longer purposeful. We already alluded to it right now. The gift of tongues was given to reach the unbelieving Jews. Okay? And other gifts were given to confirm new revelation. Now here's the point. According to Hebrews chapter 2, they confirm new revelation. If there are still some of these gifts that confirm new revelation, what is that saying is happening all over? Not the miracle, but more importantly, new revelation continues. There's still an ongoing of revelation. Okay? But according to 1 Corinthians 13, when that which is complete is come, then that which is in part or tidbits will be done away with. Which leads me to a third, a third idea that we'll get into next week. According to 1 Corinthians 13, some of the gifts were predicted that they would stop. It was stated very clearly that tongue shall cease. They were, they were predicted to stop. That they would, they, would, they would discontinue at some time. Which means then not all the gifts can be functioning. They can't. However, 
according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, which these texts are giving you qualifications for what? Okay, deacons and pastors. Okay, if, there's, if those passages are still relevant today, if 1 Timothy 3 is still relevant in saying to the churches, you need to find somebody who meets this criteria, you need to find Titus, you need to make sure that you teach others, find people that meet this criteria, then it means the gift of pastor-teacher is still functional today, which we understand it is, because it continued all the way into the book of Revelation, and it never ceased, and he talks about how this is going to be this way. Which brings us back to this question. Which one is the right answer here? It's got to be some. Some of the gifts are functional today, are operational. Our big question is going to be, which ones? Which ones are still functional? Okay, we can get an idea. And we will get an idea based on Scripture. But there is a really important question I want to wrap up with. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he is in this text, and he's talking, and in the middle of the, this whole three-chapter three um, discussion, he says this in verse 31. Covet earnestly the best gifts. Well, what are the best gifts? What are the ones that we should be looking for or saying, hey, that would be the gift that, that would be really good to have in our church. Which one is it? Well, the church in Corinth was thinking it was tongues. And he's very clearly in this text, he's going to say, ah, it's not tongues. We'll get to that next week. He's going to say, it's not tongues. There, it is not the best gift. But what he talks about, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Covet earnestly the best gifts don't forget the rest of this phrase. And yet, show I a what? Something that's even better than the gifts. Okay? More excellent way, exactly. Something that is more important than the gifts. What comes next? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to be silly, but what comes after chapter 12, verse 31? Chapter 13, called the love chapter. Where he talks about, hey, listen... What's more excellent than anything else is that you love one another. And he goes on for a, a whole section of, uh, of you know, several minutes talking about love is so important. Even if you speak with, a, with you know, all these tongue, tongues of men and of angels, but you don't have charity, my word, you're just like sounding brass and tinkling cymbals that drive all of us nuts. Okay? He's saying this is the most important area, which brings us back to this question tonight. We, we wrap up. How am I doing in this area? Because how many of us have the ability to love? Every one of us. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And how many of us have the Holy Spirit? All of us. Okay. Now the gifts vary, but the fruit of the Spirit doesn't vary. All of us are to have love. Am I loving the way God wants me to be loving? Were you loving today with the kids? Were you loving with the coworker? Were you loving with your spouse? Were you loving with, you know, with somebody that, that you know, you came here, you know, and you saw somebody that, they're your irregular person right now. Love. Now, one aspect of love is if I really love, I will pray for one another. So let's do it. Let's practice a little bit of loving here these next few minutes before the kids are dismissed. We'll pick up with this discussion next week. Thanks for being here and listening.